This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we'll go from laughs, provided by William Bendix in the title role of The Life of Riley, to screams of fear, provided by The Whistler. First, let's visit the show Irving Brechter created for friend Groucho Marx. Originally titled The Flotsam Family, the sponsor balked at what would have been essentially a straight head-of-household role for Groucho, so a new star had to be found. Brechter saw William Bendix as taxicab company owner Tim McGarren in Hal Roach's The McGarrens from Brooklyn in 1942 and stated, hmm, he was a Brooklyn guy and there was just something about him. I thought this guy could play it. So he took the Flotsam family script, revised it, made it into a Brooklyn family, and the reworked script cast Bendix as blustering Chester A. Riley, a wing riveter at the fictional Cunningham Aircraft Plant in California. His frequent exclamation of indignation, What a revolting development this is, became one of the most famous catphrases of the 1940. Now, here's the episode Halloween Haunted House. Here he is. In the movie Wake Island, he was the Brooklyn Marine. In the broad with two yanks, he's Biff the private. But tonight, he's just an overgrown kid anxiously waiting for Halloween. I'll never forget. When I was just a boy, every Halloween, my father used to stick me in the front window. We were too poor to buy a pumpkin. (laughs) (laughs) The American Meat Institute presents William Bendix in The Life of Riley. (laughs) The meat people of America, providing a great food for a great nation. If you put all of America's meat retailers together in one city, it would make another city as big as Indianapolis. There are more than 400,000 meat retailers in this country. Another important link in the chain that gives you good, fresh meat every day, America. And now, on behalf of all those engaged in supplying meat to the nation, the American Meat Institute presents The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. By day, Riley is engaged in the serious business of war production as a riveter in a California aircraft plant. But tonight we see his less serious side. It's two nights before Halloween, and Riley is full of the spirit of the thing. It's quite dark out, and Riley's son, Junior, is just returning from a meeting of the young wildcats, his club, in a very thoughtful mood. Is that you, Bosh? Yeah, Junior. What are you doing hiding on the back porch? Listen, peek in the kitchen window and see what your mother's doing. She's washing the supper dishes. 
Say, Pop, what are you doing with that false face on? You're Mickey Mouse, huh? No, I'm not Mickey Mouse. I'm the rat man of Blood Bucket Castle. (laughs) Oh, at the dime store they sell those false faces for Mickey Mouse. Never mind. I bet your mother will think I'm the rat man. Oh, you got to play a trick on Mom? Yeah. See, last night we saw a horror picture about a nice, gruesome character, the rat man. He was a vampire. Has lunch on people's necks. (laughs) Oh, he ain't a rat. He's a bat. Oh, well, he's very depressing. Anyway, afterwards, your mom was so scared something would pop out of a doorway at her, she walked all the way home in the middle of the street. (laughs) Mom said you made her walk out there. No, I... (laughs) I just invited her out in the street because it ain't polite to leave a lady walking on the sidewalk all alone. (laughs) You watch now when I scratch at the door and she opens it up and sees me in this thing. Okay, Bob, go ahead. Okay, well, I hope she don't faint. <laughs> Watch now. Bob, rats don't growl, they squeak. Oh, yeah, that's right. Go get your father some cheese. Ha oh. <laughs> <laughs> ha! You sure fooled her, Pop. Yeah. Well, they don't make these masks as good as they used to. Or else maybe I got a very strong personality and it leaks through. <laughs> well, isn't it a little early for Halloween tricks, Riley? Well, it don't hurt to get a head start. Halloween's my favorite holiday. Look, Junior, there's something else I bought at the five and dime. You see this book? Ghost stories. Oh, thanks, Pop, but I don't want to read any ghost stories tonight. What's the matter? You don't believe in ghosts, do you? No, I don't believe in ghosts, but I don't want to read anything that might change my mind. <laughs> Too many people think there's ghosts now. Hey, Dumper, what's the matter with him? Well, I don't know. Ever since he came home from school today, he's been asking me if I believe in haunted houses. What <laughs> a question. With the house in shortage, as sure as it is, who's going to leave a house empty for spooks? Well, there's one empty house up on Chestnut Hill, Riley. You know, the old Sherwin place. Some people say that's haunted. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Cornwell claims she saw a pale white face at the window, too. Yes? Mm-hmm. Oh, but Mrs. Cornwell's a great one for ghosts. She's always holding seances and things like that. Yeah, yeah, that, that Cornwell kid's in Junior's club, too. I bet he's got our boy believing in ghosts. Well, I'm going to have a head-to-head talk with Junior. Well, you see, Junior, if I tell you there's no ghost, you can take my word for it. After all, I've been your father for 13 years, ain't I? Oh, sure, Papa. Uh If there aren't any ghosts, what haunts haunted houses? Listen, Junior, nothing haunts haunted houses. Oh, yes, they do, Pop. Johnny Cornwell's mother proved the house was haunted. How did she? She said she saw a ghost face in the window uh-huh. of the old Sherwin house. It was a horrible face, too. Darwin, Mrs. Cornwell must have seen her own reflection. <laughs> Says a dame should walk into a room backwards and break her face to you slowly. <laughs> oh, then, Pop, then she came home and held a seance. 
She asked if what she saw was the ghost of Alice Sherwin, and she got three raps on the table. Well, that means yes in ghost language. Fine language. All he can do is knock. They ought to be newspaper columnists. (laughs) (laughs) You better not make fun of ghosts, Pop. Look, Junior, would you sooner believe a ghost than your old man? No, Pop. Uh But if the ghost said it was a ghost, it ought to know. Okay, I can see you're a septic. (laughs) (laughs) Now, we'll have a C-H right here to prove what Mrs. Cornwell saw wasn't that Sherwin girl's ghost. Come on, put your hands up on his table. Gosh, Papa, are you going to ask a ghost to rap? I'll show you. I'll put my hands on there, too. See? Okay, now I'll ask something. Are there any ghosts? See? No answer. No ghost. Nah, Pop. You have to ask for raps. Two means no. Three raps means yes. Oh, well, okay. Two raps for no, three for yes. I'll ask him again. Did uh, Mrs. Cornwell see a ghost up at Sherwin's old haunted house? Gosh, Pop, it's a no. See, that proves it. Mrs. Cornwell's a phony. Well, um, ask him again if there are any ghosts. Okay. Are there any ghosts? Rap two for no. See, that the ghosts themselves say there aren't any ghosts. That proves it. <laughs> Wait a minute, Pop. Uh, How could a ghost rap two for no if there aren't any ghosts? Well, that's very simple. The, the... <laughs> I was just kidding, Sonny. I did that rapping myself. Your hands were on the table. Yeah, but my feet weren't. Look at I just kicked up under that table with my foot like this. Oh, Pop. I bet you wouldn't kid around like that in a genuine haunted house like the Sherwin place. Well, sure I would, only I can't because I ain't going there. Would you be scared to go if you were going? Me? No. Oh, that's good, Pop. No, I ain't scared to go neither. How do you mean? Well, down at my club tonight, we got to talking what we do Halloween. So we made it up we'd go find out if Sherwin's old house was haunted or if it wasn't. Yeah. I pity any ghosts when them young wildcats get in that house. <laughs> oh, we ain't all going inside, Pop. Just one of us got elected to go inside. The poor guy who got the short straw. <laughs> who got it? Well, I did. I see. Well, well, Junior, you show him you know there aren't any ghosts in there. I'm proud of you, Junior, walking in there all alone. I think that's well, a... I won't be all alone. I made up a rule the fellow who had to go in could pick in another fella, his best friend. Well, that's okay, too. If the guy you picked is a real friend, he'll go like a shot. Who'd you pick? I picked you, Pop. <laughs> well, I bet that... Uh, uh, me. Uh, look, Junior, I'm, I'm probably going to be very busy and... Pop, you ain't scared to go, are you? Well, no, but... The... And you're my best friend, aren't you? Huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I am. Actually, the, the saying is that your mother is your best friend. <laughs> well, I couldn't ask Mom to go. I'm sure glad you're coming with me. Yeah, me too, Junior. <laughs> Thank you.
At Lord Twitcher stood there in the dark hall of the great lonely house. He could feel something evil in the very air. A cold wind brushed his cheek, and an icy hand seemed to touch his spine. Suddenly, he saw the thing. And then he heard a sound. A low, low sound. No! <laughs> Who's that? It's only me, dear. Did I startle you? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I'm just reading this book here. Oh, the ghost stories you bought, Junior, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Such nonsense. <laughs> My, it's a quiet Halloween, isn't it? What are all those boys in Junior's club are doing tonight? I know what they're doing. They're all sitting over across from our house right now on the fence. Like a row of buzzards waiting for us to come out. <laughs> oh, are they going to the house with you? Oh, uh, they're going as far as the gate of the place to make sure we go in. But you're not nervous about going, are you, dear? You don't believe in ghosts? Well, no. You don't believe in them either, do you, do you Peg? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, there is something queer about that house. Hmm? I wonder what did become of that Poor Alice Sherwin. Well, if nobody knows, I don't want to find out. <laughs> what did they say happened to her? Oh, awfully sad story. She was a bride, you know, beautiful girl. Well, they were on their honeymoon in Manila. She was a captain in the Navy. She and her husband were going to come home and live in that old house. And, well, he was lost in an air raid. Some say they were both killed together. Others say that she followed him because she didn't want to live without him. Well, anyhow, the house stands there empty, waiting for the bride and bridegroom that never came to live in. People want to leave the place alone. And I'm one of the people. <laughs> well, after you go there tonight, maybe people will stop talking and gossiping about the house. Because you'll prove there's nothing there. Yeah, Maybe. Now, what was all that talk about seeing lights and faces around the place? Oh, just talk, I suppose. Yeah. But they do say that they saw a woman's figure at the window in the attic. Pop the house! Junior, what's the idea of sneaking in like that? It's time to go, Pop. I've... Huh? <laughs> oh. Oh. Uh, yeah. Well... Okay, Junior. Goodbye, Thumplin. Goodbye, boy. Sure dark out, isn't it, Pop? Yeah. Pop, uh, that Sherwin house we're going to, it, it can't be really haunted, can it? No. But it's funny that people have seen a ghost in there. Yeah, well, ghost. Junior, when we get in that house, you, you do just like I do. You won't see no ghosts. What are you going to do, Pop? I'm going to keep my eyes shut. <laughs> well, not even Nervous Riley has any idea of what's in store for him as he and Junior head for the mysterious old Sherwin place. We'll rejoin them in just a moment. Right now, this is Ken Niles speaking for meat. The other day in a meat market, Mrs. Niles overheard a woman say, Joe, 
I hear all this talk about braising meat, but just what meats do you braise? Well, Joe, the meat man, told her, of course, and out of that comes this excellent thought. Maybe some of you would like a little review of the braising cuts of beef. Well, in the first place, braising is an ideal way of preparing the lean, point-free beef coming on the market these days in order to bring out all this fine flavor and tenderness. And here are the favorite braising cuts. Popular pot roast, juicy Swiss steak, tasty flank chops, easily cooked short ribs, country fried steak. Oh, but why go on? My mouth is watering so much I can hardly talk now. But remember, braising is long cooking over low heat. And that's the way to good gravy, too. After all, whether you braise, roast, or broil meat, you are getting essential, highest quality proteins for which meat is nutritionally noted. Meat is a yardstick of protein foods because meat measures up to every protein need. And now back to the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. It's just midnight, a very dark midnight. Even the moon is hiding on this Halloween. Riley and his son, Junior, are just approaching the rusty iron gate that guards the old Sherwin house, which is said to be haunted. There's the gate, Pop. Let's go in. Maybe the gate's locked so we can't get in. (laughs) Gee, wouldn't that be too bad? (laughs) We've got to get in, Pop. The gang's followed us all the way from town, and they're still watching. Uh, Yeah, they trail us like sharks after a sinking ship. Let's go in, Pop. Okay. What's that? The gate. The hinges are all rusty. Maybe we ought to go back to town and get some oil, huh? (laughs) Come on in the garden, Pop. Gosh, it's dark. Well, follow me, Junior. Where are you? Right behind you. (laughs) Here. Give me your hand. I see the house, Pop. The moon's coming out of a cloud. Yeah. Junior. Huh? What's that over there? Huh? Uh, I think that's your shadow, Pop. <laughs> if that's my shadow, why is it moving while I'm standing still? <laughs> Pop, it's coming this way. And since when does a shadow make footsteps? Good evening, Riley. Don't <laughs> Oh, wait, Pop. It's your friend, Mr. Odell, the undertaker. I don't. <laughs> oh. oh. Oh, yeah. Oh, how are you, Digger? I never thought I'd be glad to... <laughs> never thought I'd be glad to see an undertaker. You're looking fine, Riley. Very natural. <laughs> Tell me, what are you doing here around the old Sherwin house? Oh, uh, well, nothing, Digger. We're just having some fun on Halloween. Ah, Halloween. I adore Halloween. It's so gay. (laughs) Digger, do, do you hang around this old house much? Yes, indeed. It's one of my favorite haunts. Horns. Listen, you don't think there's anything in there, do you? Who knows? Sometimes as I stroll through this old garden, 
I feel unseen. I follow me. <laughs> Riley, you're not going inside the house. Well, we thought we might drop in a minute. Could be talked out of it. <laughs> Take my advice, Riley. Remain outside. Enjoy the beautiful flowers. They're my favorite flowers. Lilies. <laughs> Bigger. When you talk about lilies, please don't stare at my chest. <laughs> Strange how some people have no interest in horticulture. In my profession, we have a saying. You may not like flowers at first, but eventually they grow on you. <laughs> By the way, Riley, how tall are you? Well, I'm about five feet. Uh, uh, why? I'd like to borrow your overcoat Saturday to wear at the football game. Oh, <laughs> sure, sure. I'll pick it up at one o'clock. Uh -huh. I want to get to the game before they kick off. <laughs> Oh, bury me not all alone. Here's the door to the house, Pop. It's open. Well, leave it open. Why? Uh, well, one thing, Junior, nobody will never be able to say your old man was a coward. Let's go in. Now let's go out. <laughs> Wait, Pop. We've only been in one room. We're supposed to go through the whole house. As far as I'm concerned, this is a one-room house. Come on. <laughs> Wait, Pop. What for? I... I told the kids you didn't believe in ghosts, and I said we'd have another seance like we did at home. Junior, a blood relationship can only be stretched so far. <laughs> oh, Pop, you, you said you'd do it in a haunted house, and... And if we didn't hear anything, it would prove there wasn't any you-know around here. I already proved there wasn't any you-know around here. <laughs> you didn't do it right. Well, I... I found out for a seance, the medium has to be tied in a chair so it can't pull no tricks. Well, okay, Junior. I'd be glad to let you tie me up. Only there ain't no rope. Ha, ha, ha. I brought some rope, Pop. <laughs> That was swell of you, Junior. I'll remember this. Go ahead, tie me. There. Can you move your hands or feet? No, oh, you tied me so tight, Dan Green is sitting in. <laughs> now, stand over by the window where I can see you. Here I am, Pop. Ah, you'll see, Junior. There won't be any raps this time. If you're right, Pop. Of course I'm right. How can there be any raps when I'm tied up too tight to wrap? And I also got my eye on you. Go ahead, then. Ask if there's any ghosts here. Okay, now. If there's any ghosts here, wrap two times. If there ain't, don't bother. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. No raps. Oh, now say, if there are any ghosts, to wrap three times. 
Okay, but there won't be any. If there are any ghosts, tap three times. Uh, uh, Junior, did, did you do that? Uh, I didn't. Didn't you? Frankly, no. <laughs> Junior, where are you going? Out the window. Come on. Well, come back. Untie me, Junior. I can't get this chair through that window. Junior. <laughs> oh, Bob. Bob. Oh, Bob, I can't get the nuts loose. Well, I better go get a knife. Why Junior, don't go. Don't, don't forget to come back. I had to open my big mouth for raps, and I got raps. Fine thing, all alone in a house with a... Uh, what's that? Who, who, who's that? What are you doing in my house? I, I must be going crazy. Why did you come here? I, I wouldn't stay, lady, only I got tied up. <laughs> I will... Loosen the knot. Yep. Well, thanks. Who are you? I am Alice Chewing. Now I know I'm crazy. I'm talking to a ghost. Bob, Bob, come on. Oh, Judy. Please, don't tell anyone I'm here. I, I only want to be left alone here in my house. I got a knife and... Pop, you're untied. Yeah. But it was a ghost that done it. Wait a minute. Her hands. They weren't no ghost's hands. Junior, you go outside and wait for me. What are you going to do, Pop? I'm going to have another talk with that that lady ghost. <laughs> Why did you want to see me, Mr. Riley? Well, when I, when I figured out you wasn't a ghost, I got to thinking how lonesome you must be in this house all alone. So I thought maybe you'd like to take a stroll over to my house and meet my family. Thank you, but oh, I... If, if you'd rather not talk, I'll go. Away. No, don't go yet. I mustn't be rude to my first guest in so long. Oh, thanks. Must be kind of a shock when the first man you see in so long looks like I do. <laughs> Tell me about your family, Mr. Riley. Well, my, my family's named Riley after me. <laughs> very nice people, too. That was my son, Junior, who was with me tonight. It must be wonderful to have a son. Oh, it's great. I got a daughter, too. A girl. <laughs> she's she's sixteen now. The boy's thirteen, but getting older all the time. <laughs> and there's, there's there's Peg. It's my wife. She's older than the kids, but younger than me. <laughs> Say, in that picture of you over the fireplace, I guess that fellow with you—that's your husband. Yes. That's Robert. He's a good-looking fellow. Maybe you'd rather not talk about him, though. Silence won't bring him back. My wife told me about what... what happened. Of course, she didn't know the part about 
your being here. I don't want anyone to know. I want to stay here, alone, with his memory. It's the least I can do in loyalty to him. Oh. You mean you, you think that's what he'd want you to do? Of course. Does that surprise you? Well, yes, ma'am, it does. I didn't know him, but from his picture there, I know he was a swell guy. I wouldn't think he'd want you locked up here and throwing the rest of your life away. Do you think any man wants the wife he loved to forget him in in a year or ever? Well, no, but there's, there's different ways of remembering. I don't understand. You, you can make his dying count for something. By helping to beat the people who started this war. Teaching the world that it won't pay to ever start another. You think that I could help end this war? Sure. Everybody can do something. The only thing a person can't do is, is do nothing. Oh, I, I guess you think I've been very selfish, Mr. Riley. Oh, no. No, you've been shut up in this empty house. You just didn't know what was going on. The people I can't understand are the ones who do know and still don't care. Most people live in something worse than an empty house. They live in an empty brain. Well, I'm not one of them, Mr. Riley. You, you've given me something to think about. And I'm very grateful. Oh, gee, that's fine. Well, I guess I'll be going. I'm sure glad you ain't no ghost. Of course, I ain't actually scared of ghosts because I know there ain't no ghosts. Are there? No. <laughs> of course not. But, you know, Mrs. Sherwin, it, it is kind of dark out in that garden. <laughs> Would you mind walking me to the gate? <laughs> In a moment. Well, I think we can all agree with Riley that none of us here at home can sit this war out. The war isn't over in Europe, the war isn't over in the South Pacific, and the war isn't over in America's kitchens. You women who have signed up for the duration to keep health-giving meals on America's tables just can't pick out the meat you want and be sure of getting it every time these days. The needs of war are bound to make the varieties and quantities your meat man has vary from day to day. So let's all make good meals out of whatever meats are on hand. And remember this, all meats, regardless of cut or kind, have the same complete, highest quality, good-eating proteins that make meat a yardstick of protein foods. This statement and all statements regarding the nutritional value of meat made on this program are accepted by the Council on Foods and Nutrition of the American Medical Association. Hiya, Dumplin'. Hey, I, I got some big news about Halloween. Yes? Well, you, you, you know, I, I think I'm going to open up a one-man recruiting outfit. I'm going to recruit waves, wax, spars, and spooks. <laughs> Stay tuned for The Whistler next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for The Whistler. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. is 
is your signal for the signal oil program, The Whistler. And I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's time for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. Rated by independent research, the most popular West Coast program. In gasoline, you know, it takes extra quality to go farther. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal circle sign in yellow and black that identifies Signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story. Eight to twelve. At three o'clock that afternoon, Danny Bryan had been riding high, the top crime reporter in San Francisco, with a nice apartment on Russian Hill, 200 a week from the Express, and a lot more on the side. At four o'clock, he was nobody, just another newspaper man out of a job. He walked into the club nocturne just after dinner, decided he might as well give it to Teddy right from the shoulder. He'd know about it sooner or later anyway. By nine, he'd had four martinis. Wasn't caring too much what he said, one way or another. <laughs> a job? Oh, I'm still a reporter, baby. Uh, Brother Graves doesn't like my work. There are plenty of others who do. Graves is an important guy. They'll all listen to oh, he's him. he's a stuffed shirt. I helped put him where he is, and he knows. Oh, wait a minute, Little Napoleon, they call him down there. <laughs> I'd like to wring his scrawny neck. Danny. Hello, Danny. Huh? Oh, Stan, old boy. Teddy, darling, this is Stan McIntosh, one of my erstwhile colleagues. Teddy Eldridge is Stan. What do you do? Hello, sit down. Let's talk over old times on the Express. I only got a minute. Oh? What's on your mind? Uh, uh what about, uh... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Teddy knows the story. Oh, I see. Uh, just wanted to tell you, Graves called us all into the office this afternoon. You want to know what he said? I got a rough idea. <laughs> he said you were taking hush-up dough from... The dame in that murder case across town. Said you put the bite on her. That's why you got canned. Oh, anything else? Told us he was going to make an example of you. That's all. That self-righteous little jerk, I could kill him. Sure, I could throttle him with my bare hands right now. Now, take it easy, Danny. You better go home and sleep Oh, shut up. I don't care who knows. Doesn't matter what you think. Keep it to yourself. I tell you, I could kill him. Well, does that shock you, Stan, huh? I could snuff him out right now like that. Tell that to the boys in the city room. And tell them not to worry about Danny Brine. There are plenty of other jobs, Stan. Plenty of jobs. But there aren't plenty of jobs either, Danny. Three other papers in town. And you can tell by the way the city editors look across the desk at you that Martin Graves has been there first. That though it's all very polite and friendly... They're part of a closed corporation. And if Graves has given the word, the answer is no. 
By the following Saturday night, you've afraid that he's licked you, though you won't admit it to anyone, not even to Teddy. Danny. Yeah? Oh, Danny, I've got good news. Mr. Merrill called me in this afternoon, raised me to a hundred and a quarter. Say, that's great. Oh, it's more than they've ever paid for a girl singer. And, Danny, I just want you to know if, well, if you need any money... Now, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Well, since you're not working, Listen, I... baby, get this through your head. I'm not out of a job. I'm taking a rest, that's all. When I want a job, I'll get one. Like that. Oh, don't try and kid me, Danny. I know how it is. I... Uh, I want you to remember I'll do anything for you, Danny. Anything. Sure, baby, I know that. But just forget about the job business, will you? I'm not worrying. Why should... Uh, excuse me. Oh, yeah? Well, what is it, Mike? There's a telephone call for you. Mr. Graves. He says it's important. Graves? <laughs> Thanks, Mike. You see, Teddy? Nothing to it, huh? Just like that. Yes, Mr. Graves? Right. Yeah, what is it? I want to talk to you about your job. Well, where are you? My apartment. Been made up for the cold. You come up tonight? When? Well, what time is it now? My clock's haywire up here. Don't know whether it's night or day. Oh, wait a minute. It's, uh, uh 9.15. Well, what about 10? I don't know. I'll, I'll think it over. You'd better decide tonight. I may feel different tomorrow. Well, then, he finally came around. But it's a matter of pride now, isn't it? You deliberately stay at the club for another hour, knowing it won't hurt to let Graves know you're taking your time. It's 10.30 when you walk up to the door of his apartment. Drop him a cordial nod as he lets you in and shows you to a chair and pours a drink. He wasn't kidding about the cold. The air is strong with eucalyptus oil. He's wearing a wool robe, a heavy towel around his neck. Five minutes later, he gets to the point. Well, Danny, there's no use kidding each other. You're a great reporter. We need you on the express. Well, thanks. You want to come back? I've made up my mind. A lot of other jobs, you know. Not in San Francisco. Why not? You ought to know. You've been to the Chronicle, Examiner, the News. <laughs> they all turned you down. Well, there are other towns. <clears throat> ah, but you ought to stay here. You belong here. Oh, maybe. I don't want to go into what you did, Danny. I'm willing to forget it, if you are. I think you learned a lesson. Hey, look. Let's not even talk about that, huh? All right. You want to come back? Okay, Chief. When? You'll report Monday morning to Stan McIntosh. McIntosh? What do you mean? You're a rewrite man now. Rewrite? Who do you think you're talking to? You heard what I said. Rewrite? Why, you two-bit Napoleon. You think you can run me like a monkey on a string? Wait a bit of bribe. Well, you picked the wrong guy, Graves. You can pull a string, only I don't jump. Take your head off. I always wanted to tell you all. Let go of me, Bright. Oh, hit me, will you? Oh, you want to play rough, do you? Okay, Napoleon. Don't go away from me, Bright. Let go, Bright. You crazy? You forget where you are. Everything stops. There's nothing inside you but a blind red rage. 
the ends of the towel around his neck tight in your hand. It's quiet now, Danny. No sound but the blood pounding in your head. And then things begin to get clearer. The room comes into focus again. A chair overturned, the desk swept clean, a vase of flowers, the clock, the statuette smashed on the floor. And on the floor, too, is Martin Graves lying very still. You don't have to look any closer, Danny. As a crime reporter, you've seen murdered men before. Lots of them. You sit down, let your head clear a little. Look at your watch. 10.45. You know it's hopeless, Danny. That you'd have a better chance of getting out of this one if you'd murdered Martin Graves in the middle of the Union Square at high noon. The motive. The opportunity. Everything's there. All ready for the police. You find yourself thinking of Teddy. Of what you're going to tell her. And then... You think of something else. With the prologue of 8 to 12, the Signal Oil Company brings you another strange tale by The Whistle. body of Martin Gray. You know, there's only one thing that can save you. An alibi, Danny. You've got to have a sworn statement from Teddy Eldridge that you couldn't have been up here in Graves' apartment. That you were with her at the club nocturne all evening. Just as always, from 8 to 12. You get up, start for the phone, and then stop, remembering the switchboard operator. Then as you turn, you hesitate. Decide to answer. Put your handkerchief over the mouthpiece. Lower your voice. The cold. Martin Graves had a bad cold. Yes? Martin? Yes? This is Stark at the city desk. How did he come out with Danny Bryant? Oh, he, uh, he hasn't shown up. Uh, looks like he might not come at all. Uh, just as well. You'd have a hard time making him eat crow. <laughs> hey, that cold sounds pretty tough. How do you feel? Oh, not so good. Just going to bed. Oh, better not bother you, then. Plenty of rest, you know. Keep warm. Maybe a hot potty. That's right. Good night, Martin. Good night. Yes, Danny. There's only one way out. To somehow leave the apartment without being seen. Find Teddy and get the questions answered before they're asked. You take care of your fingerprints. Then walk to the door. Open it. Ah, the hall's vacant. You step out quietly, close the door behind you, and tiptoe down to the back stairway. 
On the main floor, you walk up to the side door opening onto the alley. Ah, it's locked. You've got to leave by the main entrance now. Knowing if anyone sees you here, you might as well drive up to headquarters and confess. The lobby is empty. You hurry across it, out the main door. Mr. Bryan. Huh? Oh. You remember me. Name's Bleeker. <laughs> Horace Bleeker. Met you a while ago through Mr. Graves. I live in the same apartment house. <laughs> Is something wrong? Oh, no, no. Nothing's wrong. You, uh, well, you, you startled me. Oh, sorry. I'm on my way to the airport, leaving tonight for Los Angeles. <laughs> Seems the streets are full of taxis until you really want one. You were waiting for a taxi? Uh, that's right. Look, let me give you a lift. I have my car. Oh, no, no, I, I wouldn't think of putting you... Oh, ready. not at all. Come on. I, I insist. That's all I insist. You help Bleeker into your car. Start south across Market Street. Gripping the wheel hard to keep from shaking. Tense, nervous. A sick, tight feeling in your stomach. You know you've got to kill Bleeker, too. There's no other way. By the time you hit the fringe of the city, you know how it's going to happen and where. But uh, there's really no hurry, Mr. Bryan. My plane doesn't leave till midnight, and it's only uh, 11. Sure, I know. I, uh, well, I just wanted to give you a little leeway. And another thing, your gasoline gauge looks almost empty. Uh, there's a signal oil station at the next corner. Perhaps we'd better stop. No, no, not now. I can't stop now. You'd better slow down. Speed limit 25. I just saw the sign. Uh, look out! Oh, I didn't see him. I didn't... Well, you, you cut right in front of that car. Look, here comes the driver. Hey, you. What's the idea? Hang on. Hey, wait a minute. You're back in my fender. Got to stop. Forget it, Bleeker. But that that hit and run. You can't. I said forget it. It's like a nightmare, isn't it, Danny? You don't think anymore. You only feel. And above everything else, you know you and Bleeker must not be seen together now. He knows something's wrong. Out of the corner of your eye, you see him hunched in the seat like a frightened rabbit. Ready to jump out if you slow down. Still, did he? Oh, but that's not the way to I said the... I'd get you to the airport, didn't I? But, uh, we'll why? take Skyline Boulevard, drop down to the airport at Millbrae. I, uh... It's a little longer that way, but faster. But I, I... See, uh, there's no traffic. At 11.30, you turn onto the Skyline Boulevard. Dark and deserted now, winding through the trees and the crest of the hills overlooking the bay. And a moment later, you make up your mind, hold your breath, pull over onto the shoulder of the road near an old water tower. What? Why are you stopping here? Ah, uh, that fender I banged up, it's scraping on the wheel. You pick up a rock from the edge of the highway. Pause a moment. Then... Uh, uh, Bleeker? Yes? Give me a hand here, will you? 
the matter now? Take a look down there. Huh? Where? Why, I don't see anything. <laughs> You carry his body to the foot of the embankment. Drop it in a depression behind some bushes. As you climb back up to the road, the shale slides down in the rut, covering it completely. That ought to do it. your eyes strike the gas gauge and you turn cold inside as you realize what's wrong. I'm out of gas. Ten minutes to twelve, Danny, and you're stuck next to the water tower with Bleaker's body lying in the ditch ten feet away. Teddy will leave the club nocturne at twelve thirty and unless you get that call through to her, the whole plan... The solid, life-saving 8 to 12 alibi is gone. You've got to flag a car, get some gasoline. But the Skyline Boulevard is almost deserted at this time of night. Then at last, at 12.15, a pair of lights round the bend in the distance, and a small coupe pulls up to a stop. What's the matter, buddy? You in trouble? I'm out of gas. Oh, Oh, you picked a great place, mister. Hey, you got a hose or something? Could you let me have a little out of your tank? Oh, brother, you don't know how lucky you are. Well, let's take a look. Well, I'm, uh, I'm in a hurry. I've been waiting here for almost a half hour. Oh, say, you know, that's dangerous. Never know who might be riding around here this time of night. Well, here, let me get this turtle back open. <laughs> but, like I said, you're a lucky man. You mean you can... Siphon, <laughs> hose, and the gas can. Never catch me on the road without him. You fumble around, awkwardly trying to help him as he siphons a gallon of gas out of his tank. 12.30. Teddy might be gone now. It seems a thousand years before he finally finishes up. Well, there you are, pal. That ought to get you into the station anyway. Oh, I'm sure it will. Thanks a lot. Oh, here, here. Take one of my cards. Look me up sometime. I think I better be going now. I'm in a hurry. Oh, uh, just a minute. What's the matter? Uh, the gas. <laughs> I think uh, 50 cents ought to do it. Fair enough, huh? Here, take my card. Before he's had time to get back in his car, you're pulling away from the spot. The accelerator down to the floor, hoping you'll never have the bad luck to run into him again. Somewhere along the way, you find you're still holding on to his business card, and you toss it out the window. Yes, Danny. The only thing that counts now is Teddy. And ten minutes later, you're on the phone, praying she hasn't left the club. Hello? Oh, uh, Teddy? Danny, where are you? Never mind. Listen, listen, honey. I- is Mike still there? Uh, I think so. You've got to help me. Mike, too, if you think we can trust him. Only you've got to be sure. Danny, what's the matter? I, I can't tell you now. Just get this. You've got to swear I was at the Nocturne from 8 to 12, and I didn't leave. Daddy, what if... You said you'd do anything for me, didn't you? You meant that, Teddy. Anything. Of course, darling. Then don't ask questions. 
Just do as I say. Well, Danny, somehow the worst is over. The 8 to 12 is going to be the answer. And you know Teddy will make it solid. You weren't at Graves' apartment. You never saw Bleecker. And that man on the highway couldn't have possibly seen enough of you in the darkness to identify you. You stay home all day Sunday, knowing it will be smart to keep away from Teddy now. You spend the morning and the afternoon listening to news reports, waiting... Waiting. But it's not until 10 o'clock Monday morning that the phone rings. It's your old friend Neil of Homicide asking you to uh, drop in at headquarters. Hello, Neil. Morning, Danny. What's this all about? Why are you... Teddy, Mike, what are you doing here? We can skip the act, Danny. You must have seen the papers on the way here. Oh, you mean Graves. I mean Graves. So I didn't like the guy. Does that mean I killed him? According to Stan McIntosh, you were a hot prospect a few nights ago. Oh, sure, a guy has a few drinks, he's sore, but... But you didn't do it, huh? No, I didn't do it, Neil. Well, Mike and Teddy have you covered from 8 to 12 on the night it happened. Right? Yeah. I didn't put my nose out of the club until midnight. That's the truth, Mr. Neal. Mike and I were with him all the time. It's just like I told you, Lieutenant. He was right there in the corner booth all the time. We've been through that once. Let's leave it there. Well? What about it, Neal? Well, I guess there's no argument about that, Danny. You were at the club nocturne from 8 to 12. <laughs> it as your friend Neil of the Homicide Division leans back in his chair and studies the three of you. Teddy and Mike really came through, insisted you couldn't have killed Graves because you weren't out of their sight from 8 until 12. And you know only too well that Graves died at 10.30. So you put it over, Danny. It uh, took two murders instead of one, but your alibi is airtight. Bleaker. The only man who saw you come out of Graves' apartment house is lying dead outside of town by the old water tower. You haven't a thing to fear, Danny. Not a thing. You know, this sort of thing isn't too easy when you're dealing with old friends. You're right, Neil. But since you've just heard that I couldn't have had anything to do with the murder, well, let's forget all about it, huh? I wish I could, Danny. Only I can't figure you're in the clear. Now, you said you left the club at 12. Yes? But I told you, Mr. Neal. Mike and I were with him right up till then. I heard you, Miss Eldridge. I'm sorry it doesn't mean anything. You see, we've placed the time of the murder at 12.15. Huh? 12.15? On the nose. During the struggle, an electric clock on Graves' desk is disconnected. Oh, wait a minute. You're wrong. Go on, Danny. What's wrong? 
Everything's wrong, isn't it, Danny? They've made a terrible mistake. What time is it now? My clock's haywire up here. I don't know whether it's night or day. Don't sit there with your mouth hanging open, Danny. You kept that appointment with him, didn't you? Only at 12.15 and you killed him. No, 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 wait a minute. I, I did keep the appointment, but not at 12.15. I went up there a little after 10. I left at 10.30. You expect me to swallow that? Who saw you leave? Who saw you come out of that apartment? You're in a corner now, gulping as Neil pounds at you. Who can you turn to now, Danny? Who can prove you weren't in that apartment at 12.15? He's dead, Danny. Where you left him under two feet of shale on the Skyline Boulevard. Hey, wait a minute, mister. You bashed in my fender. Lost in the heart of the city. In the maze of streets south of Market. I'm waiting, Danny. Let me think. There was one more. Another guy. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah another guy. I didn't get his name, but... Uh, the gas? <laughs> I think uh, 50 cents ought to do it. I, I took his card. I threw it away. When you get to the point, where were you at 12.15? Did you hear what I said? Yeah. Yeah, I heard you. I, uh... I guess I haven't got the answer. That whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Monday at 9. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Signal has asked me to remind you to get the most driving pleasure. Drive at sensible speed. Be courteous and obey traffic regulations. It may save a life. Possibly your own. Featured in tonight's story were Joseph Kearns and Doris Singleton. The Whistler was produced by George W. Allen. Story by Joel Malone and Harold Swanton. Music by Wilbur Hatch. And was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Great Gildersleeve, followed by Inner Sanctum. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.